You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A reading, a reading from the book of Micah 5, 2-5 and Hebrews 10, 5-10. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come, for, shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to you, your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The word of the Lord. And our gospel text today, Mary is pregnant and just found out Elizabeth is pregnant. And it says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Everybody say greeted. And when Elizabeth heard the of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your came into my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that all over your churches today that things in us would be leaping for joy as we hear your gospel read. And I pray, Father God, that people who are not in church today would have things leap for joy because you are the God who's in church and thank the Lord you are the God who didn't go to church today at the same time and you're on all the wrong roads leading away from you and you still somehow managed to turn us back. So thank you that, God, you have perfect church attendance and thank you that you've never been to church once so that you could be where everybody is and get us into the center of what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for that very confusing prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. The songs, we wish you a Merry Christmas. A simple phrase for kids from 1 to 92. Sorry, 93-year-olds. Merry Christmas to you. Cards that say, 
seasons. This is a season of saying hello in a way that most seasons are not. I literally sat down at my desk and said, Lord, you really want me to preach on saying hello. How do I do this? It's one of the most common things that we do all the time. We greet each other. And yet the Christmas story is filled with greetings, one right after the other. In the Micah text, God says, you are the so small, you shouldn't even be called the tribe of Judah. But he says, I'm bringing you forth for me. It's those phrases in the Bible that we need to understand. He says to one of the smallest clans, you are so small, you shouldn't even be considered part of Israel, but I'm going to bring you forth for me. In other words, God is saying to the smallest clan, my goals are wrapped up in your life. I have wrapped everything I want to do, everything I want to accomplish is so wrapped up in you that I find myself needing you to raise up so that you could do something for me. Let that defy and break everything you ever thought about an omnipowerful God, a God who is so powerful that his power is his humility and that he willingly enters need and in his need creates the capacity for you to serve him. We need because we need. God needs because he wanted to. Maybe we shouldn't be so upset about being needy and try to avoid it all the time. Amen. In the Hebrews text, it says, sacrifices and offerings, you've been constantly bringing me. In other words, he's saying this, you've been bringing me everything I've asked you to bring me. You're following all the protocols I've ever asked you to follow. You're doing all the systems and all the principles that I've ever asked you to do, and now I want a body instead of a to-do list. You're, you've gotten so into the system of the right way to do this, the right way to worship, the right way to praise, the right way to worship me, the right, right way to talk about me, that all of a sudden I'm realizing we're not bodying forth anymore. You've entered a to-do list, Israel, and now what I really want is a body. I want relationship. I want these to-do lists to be personal, to matter. And so do away with all the principles. I want you to encounter a body. A person. Sometimes our faithfulness in our to-do lists could cause us to dehumanize the people we're actually serving in the to-do list. And how do we know? When, we're, when we have a to-do list that, if done well, blesses those around us, and all of a sudden we can't get it done and we get mad at the ones we were trying to bless for preventing us from doing the to-do list, the to-do list has shifted. Okay. I told Ian, this sermon is good, and I don't care if you all think it is or not. I never think I write a good sermon. This one's dope. This one's meaningful. And if they don't clap at all, I'm still going to leave here like, yo, that was dope. I'm going to text myself and be like, needed to hear that today, pastor. If your to-do list is to bless those around you, which they all should be, and in your process of getting that done to bless those around you, you find you're getting mad at the ones you're trying to bless for preventing you from doing the to-do list. It's gone from bodying forth incarnate love to sacrifices and burnt offerings that are just protocols without meaning. 
Next week, I'll be preaching on Christmas Sunday on a holy mess and how when we're doing ministry well, our homes should be a little out of order. Our cars should be a little sloppy. Our to-do list should be a little undone. What does it say in Proverbs? I know I got an old school person in here. Where there is no ox. Somebody, don't murmur it. Say it. If you know it, I am proud of you. Where there is no ox. The stable is clean. If your house always looks good, it's because you're not doing anything. How many of you have said, every time I clean a room, I clean this room, and I go to clean this room, and when I come back, have, who said this before? It's because you have oxen in the house. You've been fruitful and multiplied. <laughs> they are much cheaper. Stuart, you're the budgetary genius. You should have told me about this. You said to me, it's okay, have kids just, you said, bake it into the cake of your budget. Made it sound like it was cheap. Punk. If it's clean, you might not be doing enough. When you're doing a lot, it gets sloppy sometimes. But that's next week. That's next week. This is about saying hello. In Luke chapter 1, it says, Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, for your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. The angel, who is, we think, the more powerful being in this moment, does not enter and demand attention. He greets Zechariah. Be not afraid. Your prayers have been answered. And it settles Zechariah to enter into this dialogue, this destiny that he didn't even know was going to happen. Gabriel did not demand control. He did not say, don't say anything. Stop talking. Sit down. I have something to tell you. He did not just jump into the moment without greeting and give information. He greeted him. Be not afraid. Later in Luke, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Why? Because no one has ever looked at me and said one good thing about me ever. Now I'm seeing an angel from heaven, and they're calling me, oh, highly favored one. I'm a little confused because usually when people more powerful than me show up, they just tell me to go do the dishes. Why is he talking to me the way that I've been trained to talk to everybody else? And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He didn't jump in and say, this is going to be tough for you. <laughs> he didn't jump in and say, if you get this wrong, the fate of humanity is going to fail. 
He didn't say, the greatest thing is about to happen, so just make sure you get ready to say yes. He said, greetings, O highly favored one, and bestowed on her what we call agency, humanity. He humanized her. He said her name. Later, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by... And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Think about this. That will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby. These shepherds who have an entry-level job that is replaceable as any other job could possibly be. One goes, another shows up. No one knows them. No one thinks about them. Everyone benefits from them. No one knows who they are, and they're gross to people. They're sitting there having another cold night at a dead-end job, and an angel shows up and says, something is happening that is going to be for all people, and you will find it. You will be the ones to stumble on it. And again, they're saying, why are they saying this to us? Shouldn't you be going to Caiaphas? Shouldn't you be going to Herod? Shouldn't you be going to the Sanhedrin or the lawyers or the rulers? Why are you greeting us? Why are you empowering us? Salem, the world can change. And I don't get nervous to preach anymore like I might mess up because I always do and I don't care. I get nervous because I don't know how to say the most simple things. I don't know how to say the most simple things. The way we greet each other can ruin or change the world tomorrow. The way we begin with each other, and not just in the morning, or in the evening, but the way we begin a conversation, the way we begin a confrontation, the way that we begin a a, a discussion about whatever, the way we start anything makes or breaks what happens during that thing. I don't know if it's because of the short, bite-sized way we communicate now via social media or texting or even email, but I have watched and I've experienced, and I'm so guilty of this myself, I have written email. Like this morning, I texted Ian, I emailed Ian my sermon notes and said a few things I needed him to do when he got here, and I wrote the whole email out, and it started with, here are my notes, please print them out, please make sure there's Eucharist in the thing, blah, 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 please make sure there's a lighter on the, and, and, I was about to send it, and I realized I didn't write good morning. I just got down to business. And he wouldn't care. He's Jesus. He's so faithful. (laughs) He wouldn't care. But the thing is, why have we started doing that? Like, we don't, I, I was willing to take the time to tell him what to do for me. Wasn't too busy for that but I didn't want to take the extra eight seconds to write good morning and then realized I forgot an O and it said God morning and I almost sent it. And then I thought how many people would have thought that was cool and I got annoyed with them because it's not. It's a misspelled word I meant good. And my brain went crazy for a moment. (laughs) Greeting. We just jump in. 
We just, we wake up in the morning, we go home at night, we enter confrontations and just start talking. And we talk in broken, even on text, in broken, like, like if there's any English teachers in the room, you must want to die these days. <laughs> I don't know if it started when a particular president just began tweeting broken sentences or whatever, but all of a sudden we all like, like, hey man, how's your day going? Day great. <laughs> Couldn't write is or the, like... We just start texting, like, we, we say things the least amount of words possible, but we're doing it even face-to-face -face now. And in all of the Christmas story, there is work to be done, major things that people have to do, life-altering realities, and all of them are begun by the powerful, angelic beings, not just getting down to business, but first saying, hello, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. You're going to need to remember that I just said the Lord is with you because you're about to have a baby without a man. So the Lord is with you. I know I have news that is going to rock your world, so before I offer it, I want you to know that I'm for you, with you, and see you. Can you imagine if we did this? Can you, oh, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Mary, who's in need runs to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Joseph is not with her in this story. She can't tell him anything yet. It's a tough conversation to have, what Mary needs to tell Joseph. It was an awkward conversation what Zechariah needed to tell Elizabeth without being able to speak. Zechariah at 90 needed to go home and say, we need to have a baby, and he wasn't allowed to speak. I wish there was text. That would be funny to know how that happened. Mary's got a, all kinds of different conversation to have with Joseph. And she runs to people who she knows have wisdom and insight and depth and have gone through life themselves. And she runs there. And when she gets there, Elizabeth, I need you. And Elizabeth says, whoa. The minute this baby heard your voice, not Jesus. It doesn't say when Elizabeth felt the presence of Christ. It says when Elizabeth heard the sound of Mary's voice, John leapt inside of her and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know how powerful your greeting is? When Jesus is so wrapped up inside you that his voice has become your voice and you say hello to somebody and something in them that has been barren forever leaps for joy and they're filled with the Holy Spirit because you didn't just get down to business, you said hello first. Stephanie said before, can we please be content with the ordinary? What's more ordinary than just saying hello? It can change somebody's life. Mary's voice, desperate, alone, and not understood, causes John to leap. God does not speak. Mary speaks. Because God, in his humility, like we said before, Stephanie sang, my hallelujah, what? Belongs to you. Meaning, it was God's hallelujah that he gave to you to give back to him. 
God impoverishes himself. He gives us what is his so that we say it instead of him. Because God doesn't want to do anything if it doesn't involve you. And so he makes himself need you. God became a fetus so that he could not speak, so that Mary would have to speak for him. This is how desperately God wants us speaking up for the world around us. He refuses to say what he can say because he's waiting for you to say it for him. This is the power we walk around with as Christians. We're so distracted, we forget to say hello. Mary didn't boast about her pregnancy. Mary never tells Elizabeth she's pregnant. Elizabeth all of a sudden knows. Make this happen today. I'm not, not going to step in, in dangerous waters with the ladies, but you all get excited when you get pregnant most of the time. So Mary's pregnant. She wants to tell her whole family. Elizabeth's been barren for a very long time. She's pregnant. She wants to tell everybody. We have competing like gender reveal things happening here. Mary runs, and she doesn't burst in and do what everybody would have done and say, I'm pregnant, can you believe it? When she walks in, Elizabeth isn't like, I'm so glad you're here, I wanted to tell you something. Surprise, I'm pregnant. Mary walks in and says, Elizabeth, I need you. And Elizabeth says, I didn't know you were pregnant. But something in me just agreed with something in you. These boys are going to be awesome. How'd you know? How'd you know? Nobody's showing yet. They haven't told anybody yet because society would have and does have and continues to have a conniption over these pregnancies. And continues to this day to have conniptions over these pregnancies. But notice Mary doesn't boast and Elizabeth doesn't brag. They have church. They support each other. They celebrate each other's life. They confirm for each other what God is doing in each other's life. They don't say things like, who would have thought? They say, how could it be that the mother of my Lord would walk into my house? And Mary says, from this day on, all generations will call me blessed. But when you read it carefully, why does she say that? Not out of arrogance. Why? She says, you have reached all the way down to the lowly. They're going to call me blessed because you have bypassed the caste system of society. And you've reached down to the worst. And that's why they're going to call me blessed. Only because your hand doesn't stop at the top. But it reaches all the way down. Her cry of from now on is a cry that says, because he went to the bottom, they're going to call me blessed. All from a greeting. They both burst out into song. All from a greeting. Something we have to understand is that we have turned faith into understanding. All through the centuries of Christianity, faith has gone from something I'll say in a moment to understanding, certainty, conviction. But that's never, faith should never be certainty. 
We should never know everything there is to know. We have to wrestle with doubt. Not just for ourselves, but for other people. We have to grow. We have to learn more this year than we did last year. In 2019, I would never have wanted to go through 2020 and 2021. But now that I stand here on the other side of them, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Because I grew. Because I realized my God is awesome. Because I realized he can give us capabilities to do things that no one has ever... I have prided myself on being teachable. I have sat under people and made sure that I don't make decisions that I don't have the expertise to make without people pouring wisdom into my life. People consistently say, you're doing great with the church finances, but it's only because there's a board of nine people who have expertise in a lot of different jobs, and my job is not to make decisions, it's to listen to their expertise, assimilate it, and then pray. I have prided myself on being somebody that when you hear me speak, it's because wisdom has been poured into my life. And then 2020 comes, and I don't know one pastor who's ever pastored a pandemic before. Who do I learn from? If you've been a pastor for 40 years or two minutes, we're all in this at the beginning. And God shows you that there's more in you than you ever could have possibly imagined. Things start leaping around in there that you didn't know were even in there. You're pregnant with stuff that you didn't know you were going to need. If it's dormant at the moment, it's not because there's nothing in you. It's not because you're barren. It's because the moment that needs that thing in you hasn't shown up yet. And when it does, it will leap because somebody will confirm it in your life. And if it won't be anybody else, it will be me. I will confirm it in your life. You have more in you than you could possibly ever imagine. These boys are born. And John sees Jesus as adults. And he greets him, behold, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. Where did he learn to greet like that? His mom. And what does Jesus do? He looks right back at John and says, I see your greeting, and I will raise you a greeting. <laughs> Am I the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world? Yes. Am I the sinless one? Yes. Baptize me. No. Baptize me. Do you see how the greetings push all of the potential egotism that we could have off onto the other person? Blessed are you, a highly favored one. I almost burnt my whole hand off. I've been praying for this little guy right here. I have such ADD, it's not even funny. I want you to make it, though, little guy. It's not fair to be the tallest. Is that even? Anyway. God, please help my head. Please. What did I say, Stuart? It's a carnival in there. There's noise and clowns. and They defer to each other in ways that allow everyone around them to see the true character of each other. When John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John was just saying, repent and be baptized and be forgiven. So people are starting to think, if I go to John, he takes away my sin. And John's like, no, 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 no. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Get that off of me. It's on to him. And Jesus says, oh, you think you're going to make people think like that about me? Baptize me. You don't need to repent. Jesus, come here. 
you don't need to repent. I just said you're the sinless one. And Jesus is like, yeah, but you got to baptize me so I can clean that water so when other people get baptized, they can be cleansed. I want to get baptized because I want to clean the water. John's like, oh, that's really good. He's like, I baptize you in the name. This is confusing. Uh, they defer to each other in greetings. So the question I have very simply is, how do we greet our home? Critically? When you, and you've heard me say this a lot of times, but C.S. Lewis calls it rats in the basement. You want to know if you have rats in the basement? Kick the door open and run down as fast as you can. Because if you go down slowly, they're going to hear you, they're going to hide, and you're going to think, I do not have rats in the basement. But if you kick the door open and run down there real fast, you might see the last one hide and say, ah. So C.S. Lewis says, it's not the things that you say when it's planned that show whether or not you have rats in your heart. It's the things that you say when you're not ready to say them that show the truth about what's in there. And I'm like, uh-oh. I don't agree with you, C.S. Lewis, because apparently these days, if somebody convicts you, you can just say, I don't agree, and just get out of jail free, I guess. When we speak of our home, are we critical? When we greet our homes, do we do it hurriedly, fast? Do we not greet our home at all? Just wake up and start the day, already feeling like we're behind? Or are we thankful? Whatever it looks like. Just a disclaimer, I'm done looking at the clock. I have some things to say. I, Reed Scott, if you're watching, I'm gonna tell most of this story because some of it's just between us. And I say that because now everybody wants to know what it is and I'm not gonna tell them. Reed and I used to go for walks on Friday nights around his neighborhood. And every time we would go for a walk, I would see these two houses, maybe like a half mile or a mile away from Reed's house. One of them looked like it was like Austin Powers' house. It was like a 1970s flat that you could tell the guy intentionally wants you to know he's into the 70s. And another house was one of those houses that was already big, and then they put on an extension that's bigger. And we, I've seen them 15 times and finally, I was just like, I wonder what it's like in those houses. So we go for a walk this one night, and we get to the, the large house with the extension, and the, the owner's standing outside. And I was like, yo, I walk past your house all the time. Just want you to know, it's amazing. He's like, you want to come in? I'm like, Reed, we're either going to die or this is going to be cool. And we go in. We walk into his house. We walk into his house. My mind, my mind, you know what I need to do right now? I need to write down the point I want to make so I don't forget because I'm not, I'm just excited today. There's so much good news in the church right now. I can't even, I'm excited. Anyway, walk in there and I, my, your brain tells you what it's going to look like. It was nothing but empty rooms, not furnished, dark. It looked like Ebenezer Scrooge's house at the, in the first scene of A Christmas Carol when he's like walking up the stairs. It's just empty. There's one room lit, a living room. One of his kids, she's probably like 16 or 17, is in there. We walk in, she's watching TV, and yells at her father, get out of here. 
We walked back outside, and he's like, we had so many plans for this house. And it all fell apart. And we were just like, oh, my God. So we talked to him. We encouraged him, and we leave. So we're just like, whoa, not expecting that. We walk by the night. This is not a lie. Reed can attest to this, and Reed doesn't fib like I fib. <laughs> we walk past the 1970s house, and dude is sitting out there. I'm like, yo, I love this house. And he's like, you want to see? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure, but yes, yes. Man, we walk in there, and he opens up this cabinet, and whatever, there is just scotch from like 40 years ago. And he's like, you want some? And I'm like, well, if you're offering because I want to be hospitable to you, sure. So now it's like we got these like 1970s like glasses, and we're sipping this fine scotch. Like I'm not classy enough to be anywhere near anything like this at all. And we're having this delightful conversation. He takes us downstairs. This man used to make maps like 40 years ago for Dutchess County, and he was pulling out maps of Beacon before it had any buildings and like all this stuff. And we're just like, this is kind of fulfilling my dream here. Like, I wanted to know. He had like telephones from like whenever, and, and he, had, he had a VCR <laughs> on purpose with VHS tapes because that's how he likes to watch TV. All of a sudden, we hear, poof, Howard, get the up here. I'm like, all right, Reed, that's not Susie, and it doesn't sound like Jacqueline, so this guy's getting yelled at. And we go upstairs, and she's like, what the are you guys doing here? Get out. So we're just like, get behind me, Satan. Greater is he who is in me. No weapon or loud crazy person formed against me shall prosper. And then we're like, we're like, sir, we can get you out of here. Like, and he was just like, I gotta go. We got back to Reed's house safely. And I walked back home to my one bedroom apartment that up until that moment, I wasn't too fond of. I walked into that house like David walking into his, blessing his home the minute he walked in because I realized <laughs> what we're greeting when we greet our home is not the aesthetic or the updatedness, but it is the life and the Holy Spirit and the family that exists inside of it. And if we ever lose that for a second, God might give us the updatedness and the newness and the cleanliness with rooms that are dark with rooms that are dark. <laughs> greet the home that you have. If it's not ideal, greet it. If you messed up and that's why it's not ideal, greet it. If you know it needs to get better and it's going to take a while, greet it. But greet your home in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit every time you lay eyes on it. Greet it. And I mean your actual structure. Greet your home, the place where you lay down. Greet the place where you rest, the place where you wake up, the place where your day ends and begins. Greet it. Because if the spirit is there, it is the most beautiful, full, multi-bedroom house that you could ever possibly imagine. And if he's not there, it doesn't matter if it really is those things. It's dark. How do you greet your home? How do you greet your family, spouse, and kids? 
when you wake up in the morning or get home at night? Do you greet them based on what they did yesterday? If they were wonderful yesterday, do you greet them better than if they were horrible yesterday? I say this as somebody who's always horrible yesterday. When you wake up and you say over your own life, new mercies are there every morning. Are those new mercies there for the people you greet from you? Do the people who live with you say of you, their mercies are new every morning? I'm laughing because it's not true. When I wake up, I know that his mercies are new every morning. But does, do Jacqueline, Sophia, and Theo know that my mercies are new every morning? Probably not. Think about it. If they were great yesterday, we greet, oh, good morning, I love you. If it was terrible yesterday, what up? <laughs> you using the shower first, or am I? <laughs> Do you greet your spouse, family, or kids based on your personal moment, or do you know enough about theirs to greet them based on theirs? You ever wake up in a great mood, and the person who woke up next to you or the people down the hall wake up, and they're not, and you feel like they're robbing you? That's a terrible way to feel. Know your moment. Greet your moment. Thank God for your moment. But if you're in a great place and somebody down the hall is in a rotten place, you better go in there knowing that they're in a rotten place and greet them out of it. If you're in a rotten place and somebody down the hall or next to you when you wake up is in a good place, don't drag them back down to your rotten place just because it feels better to not be lonely down there. The Holy Spirit's down there with you. You can still greet them in their good place and let them stay there a while because <laughs> something's going to drag them down. You might as well hold them up as long as you can. You listen, you all listen back. This is good. This is good because God beat me over the head with this message. This message is coming out of my need for grace. This is not coming out of expertise. This is coming out of me realizing what I need to do better in my own life. That's why I'm confident about it. That's why I'm confident about it. Our, our job, our day, or our evening, when you wake up knowing where you got to go to make money, do you greet that with the phrase, I have to go? Or do you greet it with the phrase, I get to? Well, I hate it. Okay? Greet it. Greet it. I was going to say this at the end, but I feel like I should say it now. Judas greets Jesus. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Judas greets Jesus for betrayal. But Jesus greets him back and says, friend. Now, why does Jesus call him friend? If you disagree with what I'm about to say, write me a well-worded email. I'm tired of just hearing you disagree with this. I want to know reasons. I'll read the whole thing. I'll judge it, then ask for forgiveness, <laughs> then send a good one back. Judas greets Jesus, and he's betraying God. And Jesus knows something. And how do we know what Jesus knows? We know what Jesus knows because of what Jesus said. Jesus knows he's doing this because he's lonely. 
How do you know that Jesus knows he's lonely? Because what does Jesus call him? He looks into the void. He looks at the thing missing in Judas's life and he fills it. And it's not just anybody saying friend. It's the creator of the universe saying friend. When Jesus says stuff, he doesn't say things to tell you what's already there. He says things like oil to put it there. He doesn't say oil because it's already there. He says oil to make it be there. That's what creators do. Let there be light and there was. So the minute Jesus says friend, in the moment of saying it, he recreated Judas into a friend. Because when you greet things, you create things in what you greet. You hate your job? Greet it. It will start to change. The circumstances in it won't change, but the shape in you will change to be able to be faithful and enjoy even a job you don't like. I'm not even going to harp on that. Try it. What do you say when you wake up in the morning and think about the day? The to-do list. Or you get home at night and you greet your home at night after a long day of thankless work where nobody sees you or appreciates you and you get home and it's crazy in the house. In those moments, are we after the image of our creator who looks at chaos and greets it? Or do we just dive right into the negative flow and just start confirming all the things that we don't like and create them by accident? <laughs> Greet your job. God didn't let me be a pastor until I learned how to like work even if I didn't like my job. And that's not a play on words. I needed to get to the place where I loved work even if I didn't love the job I had. Because we're all called to work. Our jobs are going to be different. They're going to come and go. We're going to have good seasons and bad seasons. But work did not come after sin. Vain work came after sin. But work was the first thing God called Adam and Eve to. We don't ever stop working. It changes shape. It changes location. It changes direction, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. But if you get to work, you get to create. And if you get to create, you're part of Jesus redeeming Eden tomorrow. That's what you're doing when you go out tomorrow. And I also say this. If you don't like where you are before you leave it, ask God if he had you there because there was a need for you to be there for however long. Because we always pray, give me the job I want. Give me the job I want. But there might be somebody at a particular job saying, God, I'm lonely. Send somebody into my life. And he gives you that job not to fulfill all your wishes, but to bless somebody. Greet the people at your job. Know that you're in the dirt with Jesus redeeming Eden. It's not just making money. It's not just about your life or how tired you are or how motivated you are. How I don't get to be creative here. I want to be creative there. It's about the people you're around and you don't know what Jesus knows. So walk in there tomorrow like the master of the universe needed you to be there to bless somebody. And bless them by saying Hello. I keep thinking of Adele every time I say it. <laughs> Last, and then we will close. Confrontations. How do we greet 
confrontations. If you're watching, I won't say your name. But somebody called me this week and said uh, there was a misunderstanding, a definite, thank the Lord, easy to see misunderstanding. And somebody called me today and said, uh, this week and said, Pastor, we're going to fight. I said, hey, how are you? Uh, no, 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 I'm actually mad at you. I hope you have time. We're going to have an argument. And I go, before we do, just know, I really, there's a good chance I missed something. And, and before we even start, before I even know what it is, I just want you to know that if I missed something or said something I shouldn't have said, I'm, I'm really sorry. Don't do that. I need to fight. <laughs> I said, no, we don't need to fight. But if you need to have a discussion with me, I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to be angry. I'm sure we both have something to offer. I literally was saying this. This wasn't out of some, like, dorky HR handbook. I was actually saying... And we ended up having a delightful conversation because I recognized immediately that there was about to be a confrontation and I greeted it. I greeted the confrontation in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How? Because here's the thing. I don't know a lot, but I know I'm wrong. Whatever it is, take your pick. Think of a topic. I'm wrong. I didn't get it right. See, back in the day, back in fundamentalism, every blessing you had was because you did something right. Like, we always tell people, don't think that the things that went wrong in your life are your fault. But I'm saying, please don't think that the things that went right in your life are your fault either. <laughs> right? They're Jesus' fault. And so we have to defend ourselves so ferociously because in fundamentalism, it's like a ladder. If one, or dominoes, if one falls or if one rung on the ladder breaks, the whole thing is useless or the whole thing comes crashing down. And so we've developed a tribe that always defends themselves because if you're wrong in, Pastor, if you're wrong in one area, how can we trust your preaching? What? Leave. If that's how you think, please God, Jesus, in the name of the Father, Leave. If I'm wrong about one thing, you can't trust my preaching, I'll pay you to leave. Where's that offering thing that everybody just gave us? Give it to him. Leave. You should leave. Go home, Roger. That was from Sister Sister from like the 90s. Man, my brain is not great today. But we can't live like this. I'm wrong. Even the right things I do, I could have done them righterist. Santa's like, I can't take. Do we enter confrontation? Do we greet them forcefully? Defensively? Or graciously? You might, I know this is amazing, be wrong. And God will always send you the person that you don't want to be wrong in front of the most in the whole wide world. And you'll have to be wrong. Tell them you're wrong first. Disarm the anger. Husbands and wives, disarm the anger. Defensiveness just makes the other person have to be their worst self harder. Defensiveness just makes the other person have to be their worst self harder. You're not making decisions. You're just saying, I might be wrong. Let's talk about it. You're not shifting the course of your life. You're just saying, I know it's hard to believe, but I may have messed up. 
Jacqueline, you know what? I might have uh, gotten this one wrong. House is like burning down. I might have uh, forgot to shut the stove off there. Oopsie daisies. <laughs> this one's on me. <laughs> this one's on me. How, okay, pastor, but how do we have something in us to want to greet like this anyway? You have to be pregnant. This is the part where we ask John to come up here. Wait, that's, that whole transition sounded weird. John, come up here and play. <laughs> man, we are, we've just been off the rails for so long, man. You've been in this with me for a long time, though, John. God, this transition has never happened once normally. If one day I'm in the flow over here and you caught it and came up and played before I asked you to, I'd be disappointed. I'd have to interrupt the spirit to ask you to go back and sit down to then call. Yeah, you got it. You have to be pregnant. There's two women in this story whose pregnancies were impossible. And all of us are one of the two. Mary's virgin. Maybe some of us feel unnoticed, untouched, unloved, ready, but no one. It's Christmas time. And Jesus is the one who sees you. And Jesus is the one who can put vision and trust and excitement and joy and mission into your life. Or there's Elizabeth, barren. Maybe you feel a failure, useless, unproductive. It's Christmas time, and Jesus can fix and heal that. Maybe you're both. But whether it's the one who no one has seen, touched, or been with, or the one who has tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and is unproductive, feels useless, forgotten, a failure. Christ, this Christmas season, wants you to be involved in the hustle and bustle. You got a lot of preachers up in the pulpit saying, don't get caught up in Get caught up in all of it, please. This is the one thing our culture does pretty well. But while you're caught up in it, make time for him to greet you. Make time for him to greet you. Hear his greeting. Mary, at the end, stands in front of a tomb weeping. Whether it's the person who doesn't feel touched, loved, whether it's the person who feels barren. Mary Magdalene at the end of the gospel story embodies all of those people and she's standing looking into emptiness, weeping. And Jesus shows up and he greets her. And he doesn't say, look what I've done. I've conquered sin and death. Look what I've done. They thought, do you remember how I looked Friday night? That was rough. Look at me now. He doesn't do any of that. 
he says her name. He says, in all of the people that I could be showing on the line, in all of the final words I could be getting, in all of the juicy moments I could be having with Herod and Caiaphas and Pilate, I want you to know that I see you and that I know you and everywhere I could be promoting myself right now as having risen from the dead pales in comparison to being right here with you. Right here with you. He's saying that to you right now. He's saying your name and he's saying, in the middle of the busyness, I see you, and I know you, and I'm putting mission and value and glory into you so that it can come out of you and bless the world around you. That's what he's saying. Let's stand to our feet this morning. How powerful are greetings, Salem? When Jesus was born, he became the last Adam. And in Christ, the first Adam is healed and redeemed. This is the essence of the Christian faith. We say crazy things like, Adam took the tree of life and made it the tree of death, but Jesus took the tree of death and made it the tree of life. We say things like, God told Adam that from now on the ground would produce thorns and thistles, but then Jesus wore thorns and thistles on his head as he went to the cross. We say things like, God said to Adam, from now on you'll sweat when you work, and then Jesus lays down in a garden and sweats drops of blood that redeem the sweat of Adam's face. We say these things, but nobody ever talks about Eve. The greeting of Mary heals Eve's life the way that the greeting of Jesus heals Adam's. The first Eve took and ate forbidden fruit and it destroyed her. The last Eve, Mary, received the holy fruit that destroyed the forbidden fruit. The first Eve took that fruit and gave it to her husband and he became a transgressor. The last Eve, Mary, bore fruit in her womb and took Jesus and handed the fruit to Joseph, and Joseph was forgiven. The first Eve hid behind trees from the presence of God. The last Eve stood in front of a tree and remained with the presence of God all the way to the end. The first Eve was banished from a garden and banished from the tree of life. But on Good Friday, the last Eve carried the tree of life himself, brought him back into the garden, and Jesus became the second Adam. Your greetings reach ahead and they reach back. When you say hello, it can reach all the way back into somebody's life and they can be seen and known in ways that will change them forever. No mistake or sin is beyond the hello of God. And you are the hello of God. Let's take our communion this morning. He brings us to a table every Sunday because he greets us every Sunday. Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, you took bread.
And when we were dismissing you, you greeted us. And you said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, eat this bread in remembrance of me. And after supper, you took the cup of wine. And when you had given thanks, you greeted us and said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this cup, drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would greet these elements right now, that you would descend on this bread and this cup and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and the drink of new and unending life in him. And we pray that you would greet us right now and make us for the world the greeting of God, that we may go from here and everyone we say hello to, we would give them life and agency and affirmation, and they would truly become themselves. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Would you partake with me this morning? Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.